Welcome to Not Artificially Sweetened, a weekly podcast where we reflect on all things diabetes. Your hosts are specialist physician Stan Landau and diabetes specialist nurse Michael Brown. We are passionate about using our talents to change lives for the better. Our mission is to build bridges of insight and understanding between people with diabetes and the health professionals that facilitate their care. Nothing is off the table here as we discuss real people, their real issues and stories, and together discover real answers to many vexing practical issues in diabetes and its management. Welcome to episode 27 of Not Artificially Sweetened. I'm Michael Brown, and as usual in studio with me, Stan Lander. Hello, everybody. Hi, Stan. I hope your week was a good one. I had a fantastic week, Michael. Thanks very much for asking. I hope you did too. Yeah. When I get to talking about diabetes, there's no end and some interesting things manifested in the clinic this week. And when I look back and reflect on what's happened, these aren't new phenomenon. Just a very quick story to share with you that opens up an entire can of worms. Because a lot of the work that I do involves teaching healthcare practitioners, I think the short message may be very valuable for people with diabetes, or in this gentleman's case, somebody who presumed he was a person without diabetes. So we saw a fellow who had been referred specifically to the facility for management of his newly diagnosed diabetes, went through the history as we would typically do, and it turns out he's had diabetes since 2016. And we could clearly see this in the laboratory results that we usually call for at the time of the visit. And what makes me so annoyed is that no time in the last seven years was the so-called D word or diabetes actually ever used. He had lived believing that he had a mild sugar problem. He had lived on no medication or dietary counseling for his underlying medical condition. And by the time he knocked on our door, he already had tingling pins and needles and discomfort in his feet, suggestive that he's already gone on to develop a complication of diabetes, peripheral neuropathy. Now, where my anger comes in is, you know, to get the diagnosis of diabetes right is a very difficult thing to do. Mm. And in the 20 odd years that I've been practicing diabetes medicine, it is very, very difficult to train my colleagues enough to spend the most time on getting this aspect of diabetes right. And to this day, we'll still see people who come in and having been told any of these kind of words. And I'd be grateful if any of the listeners out there want to share their diagnosis experiences and see perhaps if it doesn't resonate with this fellow's story. So words like mild diabetes, a touch of sugar, diabetes light, not serious diabetes, not chronic diabetes. Thank God you haven't got type 1 diabetes because that's the dangerous one. And you're not on insulin, so therefore you're going to be okay. And people leave the clinic with their eyes open, kind of angry that their diagnosis hadn't been made available to them before because perhaps the practitioner was uncomfortable using the D word, maybe didn't want to give the heavy hitting diagnosis that diabetes is. It's tragic. And I echo that, Stan, you and I have both for around 20 years been involved in contact courses where we've been teaching healthcare practitioners for a week. And at the end of the week, we go through a case study and it takes us 40 minutes to get through just the diagnostic phase of the consultation in that case study. Just pointing out how people battle with that. So it's something that we really need to get right. The guidelines are exceptionally clear on it, although it is quite complex. You're spot on. There will be a group of people who are not easily able to be identified as typically a person with type 1 diabetes or a person with type 2 diabetes. Correct. And the guidelines are indeed murky in that respect. Very frustrating for people with diabetes. You know, want that closure. What kind of diabetes do I have, doc? And that's important. Mm -hmm. And that's something we cover in our foundation course. We offer a 30-hour foundation course in diabetes. It's all online, available 24-7, 365 days a year. If the diagnosis and management of diabetes is something that you battle with, 
please have a look at that course. We'll leave the link to our website in the show notes. So, Michael, to carry on this tale of this fellow who ultimately gets a constructed management plan proposed for the rollout of his diabetes, essentially we're managing complications at this point in time, which were needless Mm -hmm. because we know that if you intervene early enough in type 2 diabetes, not dissimilar to type 1 diabetes, we can arrest the harms that were perceived to be inevitable. So if you are a listener and opposed to a healthcare provider out there and you have had the term touch of sugar, a little bit of diabetes, don't worry, it'll all be okay. That's when you need to advocate for your own health and well-being and kind of leave with certainty that this either is or isn't diabetes, because if it is, it needs appropriate management. There are certain targets and treatment protocols that ought to be followed to minimize the long-term complications. And for many people, it's a big diagnosis to receive. Often it's picked up coincidentally at life insurance checkups. We see a big swell of people having their diabetes diagnosed after World Diabetes Day when there's this groundswell of screening. And I think all too often it's played down, it's minimized, and it needn't be. And in fact, it shouldn't be. Correct. And as we've said before, and it bears reiteration, you cannot be mildly pregnant nor mildly dead. The same for diabetes. You either have diabetes or you don't have diabetes. You might, in fact, have that intermediate condition called intermediate hyperglycemia, either impaired fasting glucose or impaired glucose tolerance. Whatever it is, your doctor needs to clearly delineate you have normal blood glucose, intermediate hyperglycemia, or diabetes. If you are getting fluffy diagnoses like Stan has just talked about, maybe it's time to look for a doctor who understands diabetes clearly. And the other thing I'd like to bring up, Stan, is that the United Kingdom Prospective Diabetes Study showed us that on diagnosis, that cohort had already had type 2 diabetes for up to 7 to 12 years before diagnosis. So even if we start treatment at diagnosis, we are already behind the bus. And so that makes it even more important for us to be very clear on diagnosis and that the risk starts in that intermediate hypoglycemic phase, especially for cardiovascular disease. So it adds to the further narrative of this fellow who came in. Very often, people with diabetes perceive that if their management of their diabetes over a long term is not okay, complications will eventually manifest. But just think how long the diagnosis of diabetes goes undetected. And that's when the person knocks on your door, in this case, with an underlying nerve condition. People will present with loss of vision and say, how's that possible? I was only diagnosed with diabetes last week. Well, in essence, Mr. Brown, this has been brewing for a long period of time. You were never made aware of the condition or perhaps the symptoms you had were dismissed and were not part of or readily appraised as part of a possible underlying diabetes condition. So if you have symptoms that don't make sense, you need to go and get that evaluated until you come away with a satisfactory answer that can account for it. So there's my rant for this week, Michael. Really getting diagnosis right needs to be the number one aspect where care starts. I agree 100%. Absolutely, Stan. So Stan, that brings us to the point where we introduce our guest for this week. We're very pleased to introduce Sister Rosanna Ali. I've known Rosanna for nearly 20 years, and she is a diabetes specialist nurse and private nurse practitioner who has a great passion for diabetes. And I've seen that over the years. I've worked with her in many instances, trained with her, and I can vouch for her passion and insight into diabetes. And so Rosanna, welcome to the show. Tell us about how you got into diabetes and why you have chosen to focus your practice in this area. Good morning, Michael and Stan. Thank you so much for actually having me as part of the podcast and also getting the information out. I think that's very important, reaching as far as possible, getting to speak to people that actually need a little bit of help. 
So I qualified in 1991. And imagine I'm now being told that I've been qualified with fruit salad. The millennials <laughs> don't see the extra <laughs> part of the qualification. So all those extra things that I have on my shoulders is called fruit salad. So tell our listeners what the fruit salad stands for. Yes. So there's different bars on our shoulders that indicate different courses that we've done. Community health, psychiatry and midwifery. Right. In 1991, we actually did one course with everything. Now everybody has to do something as separate, whatever they choose to do. I actually trained in Cape Town, came back home. My dad was ill, he had diabetes and he had acute kidney disease. Unfortunately, passed away a few years later. And then I did ICU. I worked in a trauma unit for a long time and I got bored being in trauma and decided to branch out, got into the corporate world. And the first company that I actually joined was a pharmaceutical company and they had diabetes-related products. So with that, I started doing education because obviously being in healthcare, we know that we're an advocate for people with any condition. The patient in front of us, we're an advocate for that person. So I started doing diabetes education and realized that my dad, as much as he was very well educated, he was doing all the wrong things. And because he did everything wrong, he had passed away at 59 years of age, you know, didn't get a chance to actually enjoy his retirement. So I realized that we need more education. We need support. People needed support. That was very important. Yeah, and that's where the passion started. And more and more now, I've been doing advocacy work and I've been trying to get out there as much as possible, educating people, not only professionals, but also people who are living with diabetes. I'm impressed, uh, Rosanna, how often we hear of families where there has been some sort of harm manifest from a chronic condition, whether it be heart disease, stroke, multiple sclerosis, or in this case, diabetes. That really ignites the underlying passion. And I have great admiration for nurses. We really don't recognize enough of that admiration that is due. I'm thrilled to have you here as well, because much like Michael, I've been in the diabetes care business for a long period of time and have worked closely with yourself as well. You said something interesting right at the beginning. You said that you left ICU, this kind of high-powered acute medicine, to work in a slower-paced, longer-term relationship component with chronic care. Just for the sake of our listeners who often go to a healthcare provider with the expectation of being fixed, I say in inverted commas, hello, doc, I've got a sore throat. What can you give me today? disappear, don't see them again for a long period of time. What was your experience, the difference between acute medicine and more chronic care? A profound difference. The most important part was that I could see the person going from where they are now to having a positive outcome and being able to support them going through the process. So in ICU, that is the acute phase. We don't see them once people have been discharged. And most importantly is that the support is needed because, again, you go into a doctor and had a tonsillitis, they don't see you again once the consultation has taken place. What about the support? You still need support. People need more support out there than just the acute phase of any condition. You also said you were bored with trauma and ICU. Tell us how diabetes is not boring. One would, from the outside, maybe think that diabetes would be relatively boring compared to those high-paced environments. Tell us what's so intellectually stimulating about diabetes care. Wow. It is people. People are different every day every different type of person that you meet all the time, that they've got interesting issues. We all have issues, we know that. However, everybody is different because it's theirs and belongs to them. And they have to try and get assistance to have that issue resolved. So every single day I learn. In ICU and in trauma, there's a little book and says you've got to do this and that and that. Each procedure is done in a certain way. But with diabetes care, it's different. We see people differently and you have to assist people in a different way all the time. 
So we also, in the beginning, we were used to that didactic way of doing things and just telling them, this is what needs to be done. These are the 10 points that you need to adhere to. Now we've changed that. I've changed that. I take on a more personal approach to the person living with the diabetes. It's really different all the time. It's dynamic. I think this is a great teaching moment for people with diabetes out there who often have an expectation that the first and foremost person they need to see in the diabetes diagnosis and management component is the doctor. But we know from international guidelines, and we follow a variety of guidelines, particularly the American guidelines, tell us that you need a minimum of 10 hours of structured diabetes medical education in order to achieve outcomes that are meaningful. So the teaching moment here is for people with diabetes, whether you're newly diagnosed or somebody who cares for somebody with diabetes, the expectation is education first and foremost. Once you have that bedrock, and you can see with Rosanna that nurses are passionate about education. You spoke about an older way of qualification where community service and psychiatry and midwifery, literally that cradle to grave approach is no different from the management of diabetes. And we're blessed that you've had that holistic training that gives the sense and sensibility for that. And my plea then just again is to say to people with diabetes, don't be surprised if you are referred to an expert in education who works alongside the doctor. Rosanna, tell our listeners what value the diabetes specialist nurse adds to the lived experience of the person with diabetes. Thank you so much for that very, very important question, because we believe that once we're on treatment, everything's okay. But people living with diabetes, unfortunately, have different levels of education, basic education, have different levels of literacy. Mm. And where the education comes in and is very specific to each person helps from a nurse point of view, because the doctors don't have time. Doctors don't have time to spend getting to understand who this person really is and being able to assist them in that way. There's all these very expensive medication that's out there. You can buy a Rolls Royce, but if you don't know how to drive it, it's not going to help at all. And this is exactly what's happening. There's Rolls Royces out there, and we are not being able to steer the Rolls Royce in the right place right now. And when it comes to the education part, that's going to make a much bigger difference. You can see people smiling when they walk out of the consultation and saying, wow, I didn't know that. Wow, I didn't realize that. Wow, I've learned something about myself. And also to realize that as nurses, we are not there to judge. So we turn around and we give them the opportunity to actually feel comfortable to change their own lives. Does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense. One of the reasons being that it's going to be a lifelong relationship that's forged. And the person with diabetes really needs to be comfortable for the entire period that they are receiving their care. And another teaching moment for people with diabetes is make sure enough time is allocated for your consultation. Perhaps you need to ask for the first. Perhaps you need to ask for the last consultation of the day. Because in 15 minutes in a rushed general practice setting, it can be very difficult to kind of be heard. And to help that, we often ask our diabetes educators, at least at the practice where I work, to help patients formulate a list of questions or an agenda that they can bring with to the consultation when they see the doctor. Obviously, not everything would be addressed at each and every visit, but what are the main priorities that need attention now? Is it the tingling in your feet? Is it the deterioration in your vision? Or does it perhaps pertain to a fluctuation in blood glucose levels? And I think another attribute that the nurse education specialist brings to all of this is the ability to synthesize all of the information and help the person understand what is the most important thing in their diabetes care at that point in time. 
Rosanna, when one listens to podcasts around healthcare and diabetes, you're beginning to see this bigger and bigger gap between have and have not. And I think it's brilliant that the SA Diabetes Advocacy Group are really fighting literally in the trenches to make equity and diabetes more accessible for all. You have come from obviously training in the public sector. You have worked in communities that are certainly not affluent and you've worked for industry and you've worked in the medical aid portion of the industry and people who have healthcare cover. Big difference there. Where do you see social justice fit into diabetes care in the modern day? Oh, that is so difficult to actually pinpoint. Right now, there's such a big gap between the two, private healthcare as well as state care, simply because there's not enough trained healthcare professionals to actually assist. As much as the training is out there, there's never been focus on diabetes care. Am I correct? I know that you are doing a training at the moment, but this is usually additional to the basic training. So even though the healthcare professionals have the basic training, they're just not assisting people with chronic conditions and especially with diabetes to actually manage correctly. So it is so difficult in state, but in private, we're seeing a lot more referrals right now when it comes to people with diabetes, but also the funders are realizing that education, again, is key as much as the best medication that is out there. I think that's well said. It's becoming more apparent in the provision of continuous blood glucose monitoring. And as you alluded to earlier, a lot of the types of treatments that were available, you know, great analogy there, fancy treatment, fancy car. If you really don't have the fundamentals, then it's not going to be something easily accessible, nor is it something that's going to be valuable for the person with diabetes. Rosanna, one thing that cuts across diabetes management over and above the need for glucose monitoring and the particular kinds of treatment you take and physical activity and nutrition intervention are unfortunately a lot of the mental health attributes that are becoming more and more relevant and fortunately being addressed. One of the things that doesn't seem to go away with diabetes, and we've overcome this in the HIV setting, and, and that is stigma around diabetes. You've been in diabetes care for a lengthy period of time. What's your sense on stigma in diabetes care? Still very, very out there. A lot of people, family members are still casting their own family saying, why do you have diabetes? What did you do? That's the first thing. What did you do? And that's always, you know, the wrong thing. Why should we blame somebody for what has been happening? We should be assisting them. And also patients that say, you know what, I can't actually go and visit my family because when I go there, whatever's on the table doesn't suit my blood glucose at all. And they don't want to change things because that is their food. And why should I now be invited? So I also see a lot of people that actually go to work, do not take the medication in the middle of the day because everybody else is going to see what's going on at work. But very interesting that I had a family member and they said to me, you know, I don't understand why this person, an intelligent person, but every time when this person goes to work, doesn't take the middle of the day insulin. And I actually can't be with that person anymore, unfortunately. And I said, that's just because of the stigma. We don't open up and say, this is what's happening. I'm going to inject right now. And that's the difficult part. The stigma is still very out there, including healthcare professionals, because sometimes when you get to the clinic, you know, your blood glucose is high and they say, what did you eat? You're so fat. You shouldn't be taking this medication or you shouldn't be eating this. You shouldn't be doing that. So stigma is very big. Good diabetes care is predicated on the non-judgmental approach. And from my own clinical experience, I can tell you that whether you're a captain or a king, or if you're a person who comes in and has your healthcare visit paid for by perhaps an employer, let's say a lady in domestic service here in the northern suburbs of Johannesburg, that stigma predominates throughout. And we've seen people who lead multinational organizations with diabetes who are embarrassed in terms of the concept for exactly the reasons that you said. 
very often people with diabetes misunderstand that there is this assumed linear relationship between what you put in your mouth and your eventual development of diabetes. I think it's far more nuanced on that. We've learned about the impact on poor sleep as a risk factor for diabetes. We've learned about abnormalities in the bacteria in your colon, believe it or not, for risk factors with diabetes. So diabetes, we're talking about type 2 diabetes now, is a very complex condition in terms of cause and effect. I think it gives us an opportunity to pause for just a moment here because, Rosanna, you are passionate about advocacy and we're very grateful for SA Diabetes Advocacy who share with us a weekly message and let's listen to them for just a moment. SA Diabetes Advocacy has a vision to ensure that there is always a seat at the table for those with lived experience of diabetes. There is a global movement towards inclusion of the lived experience at conferences where diabetes is being discussed. Hashtag nothing about us without us. We have been in discussion with some of the companies in South Africa that host diabetes-related conferences to allow us free access to their events for selected diabetes advocates. Thanks to CDE, we currently have five free access passes available for advocates that would like to attend the 25th CDE Postgraduate Forum in Diabetes Management. For more information and to apply to attend, please visit diabetesadvocacy.org.za and click on the link to diabetes conferences. I think that was a great message and I'm thrilled to be leading the educational training that will ultimately lead to this conference that we are hosting in the last few days of October here in Johannesburg. Rosanna, one of the things that pleases me about nursing care is what I like to refer to as longitudinal training. And there's this move afoot internationally at medical schools to embed medical students and healthcare students over many, many months and years through the course of a family. Now, not to live with them residentially, but to periodically go back into the community to see how medicine is practiced. Have you had much work at a community grassroots level, particularly amongst diabetes or perhaps with your general nursing training? Yes, I did because of the community side of the nursing. The general nursing obviously is in the facility, but we did go out into communities and we did do a lot of education and speak to people and get to understand what is happening within families. And I think now that I've been doing diabetes care as well, I've also had that opportunity to go out into communities and actually spend time speaking to people, getting to understand best what is going on. So what are some of the challenges that you've come across Let's focus on the immediate past, the last couple of years since COVID. Where are the community challenges in the last three years? Food insecurity, that's number one. Wow. Yeah, biggest, biggest factor right now, because a lot of people say, I didn't take my medication today because I didn't get anything to eat. And it's happening more and more and more now. I'm going to bring Michael Brown in to discuss this point further. But, you know, when we interviewed Karen Morn and she spoke about the scenario that her and I had communicated about access to food. Michael, over the last couple of years, you and I have often chatted about the so-called San Haynes study, very large nutrition study done in South Africa. And you've got a lot of background knowledge on that. And I wonder if you can bring up some of those nutrition aspects, because we presume that everybody with diabetes can eat the most perfect nutrition all the time. But there were some great insights from that study that I think are worth sharing. It's an intersection of food poverty and of cultural desires. So we know that nine out of 10 South Africans desire to be fat, and that was the words they used in the study. Coupled with that is the food insecurity where people shop basically on price, ahead of anything else, ahead of nutritional quality, and that women were the primary purchasers of food. But if they don't have the money, then they don't have the access to better nutrition. So it points to two things. One, we've really got to look at empowering women to be able to make those choices and then also to correct those areas of the economy that are not allowing people access to a livable wage. 
We have a lot of economic policies that are fundamentally against a thriving economy. And so we're really in a pretty much no-win situation at the moment. And that's tragic to hear what you're talking about at the coalface in the community. I think we have this perception through social media that all is good all the time. So I think if you're a person out there with diabetes in the current economic climate in South Africa and you are battling through payment of medical aid provision or you are in the long hospital queue for the half of your day or more than half of your day and have had to take a day off and lose wages and catch three or four taxis at 4 a.m. and come back after dark, you know, a great shout out to those people mm. because treating diabetes overall is a difficult condition to do. It requires a lot of focus. And if you are getting through the day and are battling through in that sense, then really kudos to you to the family and the support that you have out there. And I think it needs to be recognized because all too often for healthcare providers, I include myself in that. It's too easy to look at the numbers on a blood glucose tester and make a judgment call that your diabetes is good and your diabetes is bad. Everybody's got a story and the reasons behind those numbers are perhaps where the nurse educator can really get inside the head of the person, the family and the support structures to help us all understand better what's going on. And in addition to the specialist knowledge of the nurse, understanding those socioeconomic determinants of health is critical. So we must be able to marry our scientific and medical knowledge with actually what's happening at home, which in many instances makes it impossible for people to practice the self-care that is required. Yes, absolutely. And I think from a mental health point of view, that is a very big factor when it comes to any chronic condition right now, and especially living with diabetes, because they've been told that this is the kind of food you should be eating. Mm -hmm. They step back and then they say, well, actually, I can't afford anything, then I might as well just forget it. I might as well just do whatever I can. And it's actually very really sad because when you do go through the eating plans or just what is available in your fridge and in your cupboards, then, you know, there's an eye opener. All of a sudden they realize that actually I can do this. And again, that's the support. That's the education because now they realize I can do this. So here's the place for the registered dietitian, part of the broader diabetes care team who yep. can synthesize the cultural background, the economic components, the family dynamics and craft and weave an appropriate nutrition intervention in the management of diabetes. I think there is still a large portion of the public, both in this country and around the world, that have an expectation that there'll be a tear-off available in the doctor's office that you will just use an off-the-shelf recipe, go and eat this, do this and do that. And I had shared a case with a colleague in the clinic this week who had brought to me a nutrition pamphlet handwritten by a doctor, I think in the KZN area. And what's fascinating about this, the list was basically a do's and don'ts. He hadn't taken into account a lot of the economic components. Then on the don't column was sugar. Yet simultaneously, when this person with diabetes was asked to manage their hypoglycemia, they were asked to consume sugar-sweetened beverage or sugar-related foods. And she said to the practitioner, how can sugar be bad if I'm going to use it as part of the treatment for my low blood glucose? So really more opportunities for conversations all the time around each and every aspect of diabetes. And again, as we've said at length, it's not going to happen at one interaction with the doctor on the first visit, lifelong learning for diabetes. I think what you said there also highlights the importance of our choice of language. Again, we always refer to it, but moving away from good and bad foods, whereas we need to be teaching nutrition in terms of appropriate foods where sweetened beverages may in fact be a reasonable choice post a long period of exercise and not appropriate at other times. So I think we've just got to be aware of those good and bad judgments on foods. Rosanna, one thing that is problematic for nurses who've specialized in diabetes is that there is no formal or recognized career path in terms of how the government views the specialization. In fact, in terms of the government's eye, we do not exist. 
I know you are passionate in developing diabetes specialist nurses as a speciality. Tell us about that desire on your part and why do you think the diabetes specialist nurse would add more value than the primary healthcare nurse who's currently tasked with managing all chronic conditions, including diabetes? Every time you bring up a topic, I go, wow, and this is another one of those. We, unfortunately, it is not only local. I think it comes from the international space and then filters down into the national space. Unfortunately, we are not seen as people managing people with a speciality condition. So mm-hmm. right now, it's as though, like you say, we don't exist. And unfortunately, the people that have the condition don't then get the education and they don't get that support. From a global perspective, there has always been money and funding in HIV and communicable diseases, but nobody's really been looking at non-communicable diseases. Because of COVID, there's now this very big opportunity for NCDs to be recognized, non-communicable diseases, and especially diabetes. So we are at this point still looking at that space from an HIV perspective. A lot of funding is going to be coming through the HIV side and hopefully it will filter down into the incident side of things. And I think that is the reason why from a training point of view, a government point of view, we're not going to see anything happening with diabetes education and being recognized as a diabetes educator. There's just so much going on in the clinics right now. You know, they are so overwhelmed by looking at not only the communicable diseases, but basic needs for everybody that is a patient for that matter. So it becomes so much more difficult then to focus and to spend time with diabetes because you need time. You need time because it's more than just treatment. It's a lifelong condition. Every day is a different day. So they don't have that time. They don't have the time. They themselves probably have diabetes and they're not looking after themselves at all because they don't understand it either. So again, there's stigma. So it's also part of all of that is the reason why we're not being recognized. So as a diabetes specialist nurse, almost on the outside looking in, obviously we are passionate about our work. We're hugely involved in the daily management of people with diabetes. But from a structural perspective on the outside looking in, If you were brought in as an advisor to the government, to the policymakers to guide and improve diabetes care for all South Africans, what would be some of your top recommendations? To recognize diabetes as a chronic condition that is causing more problems than what they would like to admit right now. And that's why it would be then important to focus and to make it very important. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. And then to see how much funding is available out there. And when you talk about funding, it's always a no-no, but there's really, really very little and focus on looking at what are the issues that's going to assist not only the patients, but the government also quality of life and every person within South Africa, not only living with a chronic condition and living with diabetes, but just to assist us globally in trying to keep people out of hospital, to maintain a good quality education, and also to get good assistance and support. So those are very important things. Obviously, we need skill development. And even though there is NHI that's on the horizon, unfortunately, there's just not going to be enough skill to help people with diabetes. You know, what's incredible about that wish list, there's nothing there that's not doable. You haven't asked for colonization of Mars and a trillion rands worth of care. You've asked for honest, fundamentally available stuff that should be easily deployed. I just don't think there's the political will at this stage. I wish diabetes got the limelight that the HIV did, and maybe the advocacy groups are going to help drag diabetes onto that national agenda. It was good to hear how at least our organization is giving voice to the advocacy to come and listen from scientists and for us to learn from people with diabetes far more collaboratively. 
And this morning I thought of Prof and I thought, what is, you know, his role, what he really wanted to achieve. And I just hope that where he is right now, that he can see that it's taken a long time for him, but we are getting there because we've learned, we've learned from him. We've learned a lot, Mm -hmm. not only from an advocate's point of view, but we've learned and we are trying to make a difference. And Prof is the one person I've also learned a lot only from both of you, as well as other educators that have been out there that has been around for so many years. And if I can mention Esther, Boyawa, Finlori, so many people out there. We really just want to see a change before we actually kick the bucket. We want to see that change. May you be around many years for that. (laughs) You've listed some of the giants in diabetes care in South Africa, as well as those we recognize whose names weren't mentioned. But, Rosanna, the disappointing thing about that list is there are no newcomers. And quite frankly, why should there be? There's little recognition for the career. There are no diabetes bars that you can wear proudly on your epaulets. And it would be nice to see the fruit salad, as you alluded to. You know, let's introduce another fruit onto that component and make diabetes nurse speciality really a much sought after entity. Mm. I have the feeling it's going to come because we're reaching this tipping point where the cost of diabetes care and the cost of complications of diabetes care, even if NHI comes, that's going to be the biggest news that we're going to be contending with. And I think it'll make HIV look trivial. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. But yeah, are you going with me to nursing council so that we can talk about this? Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks. Count me in. Great. Thanks for bringing up our founder, Larry Distiller. Yes, he certainly did have huge vision. And uh, even though he was a medical doctor, he was probably the biggest supporter of the diabetes specialist nurse and probably was responsible for the genesis of most of the diabetes specialist nurses currently practicing in South Africa. And unfortunately, all of us, I think, are well into our 50s and 60s. And as Stan says, there's no one new coming through to replace us. As we close out, Rosanna, if you could share a couple of stories from recent client interactions where you as a diabetes specialist nurse have been able to change the trajectory of their diabetes. Have you got any good news stories to share? Well, it's like that every day these days. (laughs) Okay, so let's hear. I think it's just because there's that opportunity to actually sit down and talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. That's where they start. And again, mental health is such a big issue. And we ignore that a lot of the time when it comes to diabetes management, right? And that's where I start these days. How are you doing? What is it that I can do for you? How can we change what you are doing together? How can I support you in what you are doing? And that is a profound opening for people with diabetes because it just really, really changes how they see themselves and how they perceive this condition that they have. So I see that a lot of the time. I've also been part of a group that is just starting something very different. We're trying life coaching with people with diabetes. As time goes, we'll probably tell you about it a little bit more. But I think it's going to change. It's going to change how we manage people with diabetes and also how they themselves do it. I think we are passionate about education here and that mantra that pervades all of education, you've just struck a nail on the head there. We used to talk about the sage on the stage, a wise person telling you what you needed to do. But when we think of coaching, it's the guide by your side. And that sounds fantastic. Somebody walking that journey with you, guiding you, teaching you, training you, making you competent in the management of diabetes, comfortable with it, and in a good psychological headspace, Mm. because we have come back to that point time and again. Good mental health is perhaps the alpha and omega of good diabetes care. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved your opening questions there, Rosanna. I think that's common to all people who understand the approach to diabetes care. How are you? What can I do for you today in a very open-ended way so that we can coach that person to a better place rather than pointing the direction and letting them fend for themselves? 
Michael, it makes me laugh though, because as brilliant as that question is, and it's asked, how often I hear people come into the clinic and you have a vague opening question to kind of get the conversation flowing. And they say, I don't know, you're the doc, you tell me. So getting people to understand the change in conversation, mm. they're not used to being asked, how are you doing? It's kind of, tell me what's wrong as quick as you can. Exactly. I'll fix you and you're out. Yes. And next, please. Mm. So if you're listening out there and you're a person with diabetes, you look after somebody with diabetes, make that consultation time yours fight hard for your voice to be heard in that conversation. It's not only about the doctor says, the doctor does. I think that SA Advocacy, people like Rosanna, those senior diabetes nurse specialists that we're blessed to have in our country, the small population. National treasure, Michael, I've used that word before. Every time we've spoken about nursing care, I use the concept of national treasure. And yikes, I couldn't say it more loudly today. Thank you, Stan. Thank you. I think for all our listeners out there, we've had a very interactive show today. And if you have an experience, both on the upside or on the downside in respect to your diabetes management, do not hesitate to drop us a line. Let's share that. Let's add to our network of people who are enjoying the show. And if you like us, give us a share. Our email address, podcast at cdediabetes.coza. Remember that this free educational service is available on a number of platforms, including Spotify and the Apple podcast platform. I hope the week ahead is an excellent one. I'm grateful for our studio guest, but let me let Michael sign out for this week. And I hope all of you have a blessed and healthy week ahead. Thank you, Stan. And thank you so much, Rosanna, for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Always love chatting to you, getting your insights from the coalface in the community. Thanks so much for being with us. Pleasure. I really appreciate you actually asking me to be part of this and I enjoy our conversations as usual. Yeah, without you, without Stan, where would we be today? Thank you. You supporting us. <laughs> Absolutely. And please, people like Rosanna and myself, we are part of the aging cohort of passionate diabetes educators. If you are new to nursing, new to dietetics, new as a diabetes doctor, people like Stan, myself and Rosanna, we are so willing to pass on the baton to those who follow us. Please don't ignore this plea to get involved in diabetes care. So with that said, please remember our weekly polls and listener questions, and we look forward to joining you again next week. Over and out from us. Thank you for joining us on Not Artificially Sweetened, where we aim to build bridges of insight and understanding between people with diabetes and the health professionals that facilitate their care. Anything we discuss is for your reflection, education, personal growth, and entertainment only. You join this podcast at your own risk, and we are not responsible for any omissions, errors, or unwanted medical outcomes. Please note the following important, specific disclaimers. For people with diabetes, the health professionals on this podcast are not your personal caregivers. Always discuss any new information with your diabetes team before acting on any aspect of it. The views and opinions discussed are those of the hosts only, and do not represent those of any other entity. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you encounter in this session. Anything you learn or experience here cannot substitute for personalized, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. For health professionals working in diabetes, always discuss any new information with your clinical team before acting on any aspect of it. You are personally accountable and liable for any choices made in a clinical setting according to your level of training and legal scope of practice. Any information or insights gained here must be used with your professional discretion and with the developing base of clinical evidence, local and organizational laws, regulations, guidelines and protocols. Good luck with your diabetes care missions. Till next time.
And it's a wrap. Yay!